You're listening to the Food Freedom Podcast, hosted by me, Dylan Murphy, Registered Dietitian Nutritionist. Food Freedom Podcast explores the topics of intuitive eating, mindset, and body respect to help you create a lifestyle of lasting food freedom. We believe it's possible to feel confident in your food choices and connected to your body. And here on Food Freedom Podcast, we will show you how. I am a registered dietitian nutritionist and owner of Dylan Murphy Nutrition, a nutrition coaching practice helping women make peace with food, heal their relationship with their body, and create sustainable health habits. We welcome all foods over here, from kale salads to queso and everything in between. Let's dive in. Welcome back to another episode of Food Freedom Podcast. Today, I had the honor of sitting down with Erin Judge, who is actually, fun fact, we did our dietetic internship together at Vanderbilt, and that's how we met, and we both went into private practice around the same time and have remained friends ever since. And so it was so fun to have her on the show. She is an expert on all things gut health. And I know gut health is a very trendy topic right now. And I think Erin does an amazing job of bringing a lot of clarity and education and helping us just really pick out the fact from the fiction when it comes to gut health and digestion and probiotics. Erin, like I mentioned, owns a private practice where she really specializes in helping women with IBS overcome their symptoms through both nutrition coaching and lifestyle coaching. She is also an amazing cook and has a very, very amazing Instagram. So make sure you go and follow her as well. Her Instagram handle is erinjudge.rd. And here is today's episode. Hey, Erin, welcome to Food Freedom Podcast. Hey, I'm glad to be here. Yes, I'm so excited for this conversation and to talk all things gut health. Um, and fun fact for people who are listening, Erin and I actually did our dietetic internship together at Vanderbilt, which is how we met. And now we both are private practice dietitians in Nashville. So Erin's been just a, a friend and a colleague to me for the past several years. So it's fun to have you on the show and have this conversation. Yeah, I'm so excited. It's fun to be coordinating care, I guess, among different dietitians and learning together. And um, there's a lot of value in that. And so it's been really, really great with you. Yeah, for sure. So to start, I would love for you just to introduce yourself for people listening who may not know you. Um, just tell me a little about just maybe what led you to be a dietitian, what exactly, what field you specialize in and anything else that you want to share. Yeah, um, of course. So I um, am Erin, and I'm originally from Arkansas, so I did come to Nashville to do a dietetic internship. Um, what originally led me to do dietetics was actually community health and public health. And so I was really passionate about empowering people with resources in order to have health outcomes. So um, I originally wanted to do like pre-med and was really focused on the intervention side like on the back end. And then whenever I started learning that there were actually tools on the front end to prevent 
um, those things from happening. I was really passionate about that. And so I got into dietetics with that goal. Um, my first job was actually in the government in the health department under the WIC program for women, infants, and children. And um, that was a great opportunity to really focus on that. Um, but then because of my own personal story and my own personal health um, issues that I've had since I was a child, uh, I actually ended up shifting my focus towards gut health and irritable bowel syndrome or IBS. And so I decided to go out on my own, um, start a practice and really hone in on this one condition just because I've experienced it and I saw such a good need for providing better care in that area. Yeah. And I, I love that. I was telling you before we hit record, I feel like you have such a unique tilt in a sense of working in the industry of gut health, digestive health, and struggling with IBS yourself, where I feel like it makes you even more relatable and you've experienced it yourself. So you know firsthand for clients. And I know obviously every gut is so different, but I feel like that really probably helps you provide an extra level of care for sure. Mm -hmm. So in terms of your own journey with IBS, do you feel like it took a while for you to kind of figure out like what foods were triggers for you or what, how to get to a place of feeling optimal or what did, what did your own personal journey look like? Yeah. So my journey is not that unique in the IBS world, but it is unique in terms of the overall population, I guess, and what we're looking for with health. Um, which is familiar for those with IBS, but I was diagnosed whenever I was in fourth grade. So whatever age that is, <laughs> it was a long time ago. Um, but I remember even younger than that, dealing with a lot of digestive issues where I, would, um, I wouldn't gain weight whenever I was really young. So they thought maybe something was wrong because I wasn't gaining weight. And then um, had a lot of like food issues. Like I didn't like a lot of different foods. Um, and then I remember like lying on the floor, crying in pain. And my mom would take me to the hospital, which was an hour and a half away. So we lived in a very rural, mm -hmm. small town. Um, so it was a big feat to drive to the hospital in the middle of the night um, because she thought it was my appendix rupturing or I had a kidney stone or something like that, just based on the pain I was in. And every time it ended up being just constipation or gas or, you know, something that was not a big deal um, in the grand scheme of things. Um, but because of that, it took years to get any answers. Um, so we did lots of different tests. Um, I had a colonoscopy and endoscopy as a child. Um, I remember being in therapy for a short amount of time um, and just having a lot of insecurities about what was going on um, in my own body. And um, we, we just didn't know how to make sense of it. And so we got the diagnosis of IBS, but being in such a rural small town um, and this being, you know, 20 years ago, we mm. didn't really get a lot of resources. So I was on, you know, Metamucil, I think for a short amount of time, um, enemas, you know, things like that yeah. um, as a kid, which was not fun. It was really embarrassing. And then, you know, we didn't really eat a healthy, well-balanced diet. Like we didn't really think about that. We weren't really educated on the food that we were eating and, um, I'm sure that might have played a role, but, you know, we just didn't really have a lot of direction. And so I went through middle school, you know, hormonal changes, uh, mm -hmm. so insecure on top of all the other things that make you more insecure. And then in high school, I remember the fear of like using the public restroom and, you know, as a cheerleader, I was a softball player. So going to cheerleading camp was very overwhelming. Going to church camps mm -hmm. was overwhelming simply because I didn't know like if I would even go to the bathroom while I was there, which would mean 
that I would usually be in so much pain that it would leave me going to like lie down in the car. Um, I wouldn't be able to like really engage in activities. And so I just had so much fear around that and, um, you know, dealt with the dieting side around the same time. And looking back now, I'm like, oh, I, I probably made, made it worse by all the things mm-hmm. I did, you know, just due to lack of education and lack of resources in, in that area of the world. Um, but whenever I went to college, I, you know, was drawn to dietetics because of my passion for, um, for public health. But in those classes, that was the first time I actually heard about there being care for IBS. So it was, it was the very first introduction I had to like resources. And so this was probably a 15, no, 10 to 15 year, I guess, um, difference, I guess 15 years um, between getting diagnosed as a kid and being in school. And I had a flare in college because of the stress of it all and, you know, got reignited <laughs> with my, uh, my diagnosis. And so whenever I began seeing that there were actually interventions available and, you know, there were changes I could make, um, I just dove headfirst and I began to do all of them, some of them in a very unhealthy way, um, which is why I think I do understand what a lot of my patients are coming up with. And I understand a lot of their journeys and I understand the restriction. I understand the fear of food. I understand the misleading info that's out there and the miss, um, I don't know the word for it, mistranslation, I guess, um, yeah. more translation of the science that we, we have. And, um, I, I understand just how complex it truly is because I did go through the tangle of it. And it took me about from that point on, it took me about four to five years, um, to fully get to where I am now, where I feel like my symptoms are pretty well controlled and, I actually understand what's going on and I have more of a balanced approach to it all um, versus when I started, it was definitely, uh, you know, trial and error <laughs> restricted yeah. place. Um, but it did take me a while. So now that I, I am where I am, um, I've put a lot of that experience um, for myself, all the research that I've done, the guidance I've gotten from other professionals leading the way in the field and my experience with my clients and seeing what truly does work and doesn't work, um, I've been able to develop kind of my own approach to, to getting there. And I always tell clients, you know, my goal is to get them to the place that they want to be faster than 10 to 15 years <laughs> so yeah. they can actually get results <laughs> and not have to, you know, suffer with that confusion for too long. Mm. Yeah. And I'm, as you're saying that, I'm trying to picture too for people who struggle with IBS themselves, but didn't or don't end up going the dietetics route, don't end up becoming a dietitian, like trying to think of like, if you didn't go that route, I wonder how long it would have taken for you to learn that like, there's more out there than taking Metamucil and enemas and all of those sort of things, which is interesting. Cause then like you mentioned, it leads you to go to the internet and Google like cures for IBS or how to manage my gut health or certain things where we know how Google can turn out a lot of times it's not as accurate as people may think it is, but yeah. thank you for sharing that. That's so, yeah. Um, and like you mentioned, I think that helps a lot with your clients because you've been there, you've struggled with it for years and years and years. And so now you're like, I want to help you not have the same story I did. Like, I don't want you to struggle for 10 plus years without answers or without having to just continue to use medication and such. Yeah. So you mentioned gut health a few times, and I know that is 
a buzzword. Speaking of like Googling things, like I feel like gut health is just a very common phrase these days. But I think sometimes if we were to ask people like, so what does gut health mean? They may not necessarily know. So as an expert in all things digestion and gut health, I would love to hear just kind of how you would define gut health, what that even means. Um, I know that's probably a hard thing to just put into a few sentences, but how would you define gut health? Yeah, so in a broad sense, so if I'm thinking about, you know, general population, um, everybody as a whole, gut health would be um, making, you know, intentional choices and building, you know, an intentional life that supports the health of your gut, including your digestive health, um, your microbial health. So our gut's made up of lots of microbes, which that's usually the focus with our gut health is actually the health of our microbes so that they're thriving um, and just the function of the digestive system as a whole. Um, within health, so we know, we know that health <laughs> does not mean one thing. So what's yeah. healthy for me is not healthy for you. Um, what's mm. healthy for me is, you know, a lifestyle which includes my diet, includes my activities, includes um, my spiritual practices, like includes mm. everything in my life. It supports my mental, physical, and emotional well-being, right? And so mm. I'm in a place where my physical body is functioning well, um, and that can look a lot of different ways depending on what where you're coming from. Um, someone with, you know, a disability is going to, their health is going to look different than some, you know, a professional athlete. <laughs> it's going to look yeah. different. And so with the gut, I think that's also really important when we're talking about gut health. It's not, you know, a person with IBS, gut health looks very different than a person with celiac disease or a person mm -hmm. who does not have IBS. You know, it's going to look very different. Um, and that's why it is very misleading right now, because that's the piece I think that's been misconstrued by the media. Yeah, that makes sense. So I feel like oftentimes the media makes it seem like there's a one size fits all. Like we all have to achieve this like gut health gold standard. But then like what you just described, that standard is so different for everyone. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So then you talked about microbes. Can you talk more on that? Like what that means, what bacteria being in our body, what, how we like protect our microbes, feed our microbes. Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah. So our, our large intestine, which is also known as our colon is like the home of what we call our microbiome. So it's the makeup of all of these bacteria, all these strains of bacteria and their genetic material. And so what we've learned about microbes, you know, five years ago, this was a new topic. Today, this is not new, but most of us have heard at least some version of, you know, microbial health. And um, we used to think that microbes were bad, right? Bacteria was bad. We needed to like disinfect yeah. it all and antibacterial everything. Like any bacteria was a bad thing, which is where the rise in antibiotics came up or, you know, any kind of condition you had, tons of antibiotics. What we learned is that our bodies actually need this makeup of bacteria in order to function how we're supposed to. So our bacteria actually help with our immune system. So our immune system is mostly found in our gut. And it's not that our bacteria are the only forms of our immune system, just our you know intestinal wall is also part of our immune system. And there's a lot involved there, but our microbes are involved in that process. Um, they help break down food. So they're directly involved in our digestion and absorption of nutrients. They're involved in our digestive health where we're, you know, removing waste and 
toxins is a big word. Um, it's just yeah. a normal process that our bodies do where we remove any um, toxic materials or, you know, bacteria that aren't meant for our bodies. Like we can just naturally remove those and our microbes are involved in that. Um, they're also directly involved in um, like hormonal um, health. So they interact with our hormones. They interact with um, our like neurotransmitters and <laughs> the different yeah. chemicals going on that help with our brain and mental health. Like they're really involved in every process of the body is what we're learning. Mm -hmm. And so whenever we're caring for our microbes, um, the goal is just that they're thriving. The, the, the problem is that we actually have not mapped out every single bacterial strain that there is. Um, because we've learned a lot, a lot of people um, and media have taken that information and have decided that we know enough to like now start making a lot of claims. And the truth is we don't. What we do know is that each strain of bacteria has a very different role in the body. And so there are some that have more beneficial roles. There are some that have not as beneficial roles. Mm -hmm. And so we know that there's a good ratio of them and how they work together. And that's what really makes the difference of, you know, my digestive health against yours or the way that my body functions, even my genetic, um, you know, expression like they're involved in that like my genetic expression is different than my sister's and our you know bacterial makeup could be a, a contributor there um we can't just determine that by like a test like you can't map out our own um yeah. microbiome to see like what strains we have just because we haven't mapped them all out um and so it can get really tricky when we start talking about you know, what to do to actually help our microbes thrive. So what we've learned, um, you know, in the research that we do have, which hopefully in five years we'll have even more and we can go deeper into this, but we have learned that there are some, you know, dietary um, things that can play a role and there are a lot of lifestyle behaviors that do play a significant role in a strong, healthy microbiome. The, the most significant pieces of the puzzle there are going to be actually from your parents and your mother. Um, oh, and so we know that birthing method and feeding practices are two of the most significant um, indicators of a healthy, thriving microbiome. Um, and so a uh, vaginal birth, uh, when the baby comes through the birth canal, they, they swallow the mother's fluids. And that's actually the mm -hmm. first time that a baby's microbiome is set up, I guess. <laughs> um, the wow. microbes come in from the mom mm -hmm. and like house in the gut which is why we most likely see, you know, babies who are born um, vaginally versus C-section tend to have mm. less allergies and, you know, less um, health issues. It's typically tied to that, that in and of itself, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah. We also know that breastfeeding um, does transfer some bacteria versus bottle feeding may not. So even small amounts of breastfeeding early on can be extremely helpful. Mm. So moms have a lot of power um, there to make those decisions. Um, but as we age, there are also other factors that can be, uh, be um, in the picture. So antibiotics, they wipe out, out bacteria. Great if you have a you know, really significant bacterial infection that you need them for, but overuse of antibiotics can actually have a negative impact on the gut. And so really being thoughtful about the use of antibiotics and having those you know, conversations with your doctor, preventing yourself from getting the bacterial infection in yeah. the first place and using proper hygiene and being really thoughtful, which I think we all are right now, but just really thinking about that and the risks so that you don't have to go to, you know, an excessive um, intake of antibiotics um, because that can have a negative impact on your gut. 
We know that um, stress actually has a really negative impact on the microbiome. And so decreasing your stress, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, which is a healthy behavior anyways. Um, But I think in the world we live in, it's, we, we live in a culture of taking on the stress and fighting through the stress versus actually decreasing the stress. Mm-hmm. And so this isn't about, you know, just grinning and bearing it or, you know, muscling up and getting through it. Like that's still going to have a negative impact on your microbiome itself, which will lower um, or decrease your immune system and um, can actually impact your digestion. And so it is very important to make sure you're assessing, you know, the stressors in your life and, um, you know, if there are a lot that's out of your control, like as much as possible, getting help, getting resources, um, making sure that you, you promote like as much of a mental health, a strong mental health environment for yourself that you possibly can. And as an adult, really, you know, prioritizing that in your health. Um, if you're doing something that is supposed to be healthy, that's actually causing more stress, like you are going to be working against yourself. So that's a big piece that people miss. Um, with diet, we know that our microbes actually eat fiber. So our microbes thrive on fiber. Um, Fiber are the components of plants that we personally like don't absorb. So we kind of break them down a little bit, but we don't actually absorb them. Um, They're really there to feed our microbes. And so whenever we're eating lots of fiber from plants and diverse fibers, um, we are actually feeding our microbes like a really healthy diet themselves so that they Mm -hmm. can be um, strong and they can thrive and they can be healthy. Um, and that doesn't mean a vegan diet. It doesn't mean a super high fiber diet. Like you don't have to eat a hundred yeah. grams of fiber a day or anything <laughs> wild. Like it's just about including plants in the day and, you know, nuts and seeds. Um, those are plants. Your grains are plants. Your legumes are plants. Like it's not just fruits and vegetables. It's all the plants that we have at our disposal, like taking those in and getting as much diversity within them as possible will give you a healthier microbiome, which is really great. Um, I think that those are the main things. Um, Getting outside can be helpful. Getting your hands dirty, um, exposing yourself to like those microbes that are naturally in your environment, um, which also connect to the stress piece. So as long as you are doing things with intention that can help decrease stress, your mental health is at the top. You're eating diverse amounts of plants. So, you know, that's also going to contribute to your physical health. Um, Focusing on that as much as you can, like that's going to help. And then um, preventing, you know, having to utilize like excessive amounts of antibiotics, like that can be helpful. Mm. And I love how, as you're saying all of that, you didn't mention like, and you have to cut out this, you can never eat this again. Like there was no food rules or anything with what you said. And I think if you think about what you said about stress being one of the main things that can impact our gut, and then you think about dieting and food rules and all of that, that only increases our stress all the more. Mm -hmm. So instead of what do I need to cut out? It's more so like, what do I need to make sure is present in my food intake throughout the day, throughout weeks? There's very little things that need to be gone (laughs) when it comes to Um, your gut health, there are irritants out there. And, you know, most of that is very straightforward. Um, But even in that, like, social intake of certain things is not going to destroy your microbiome. Um, What can destroy it is actually over restriction. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're causing diarrhea, like, that's actually going to have a negative impact on the microbiome. So like juice cleanses and all liquid diets, like excessive fasting, like that typically causes diarrhea and water loss. And that 
can have a negative impact. And so that can actually work against you. Um, we know that, uh, you know, not ignoring hunger and fullness cues, like those are tied to hormones, which are also tied to our microbes and they all can, are connected. And if we're not responding to those, like we're also not going to help out our microbes very well. And that's going to have mm. a negative impact on our digestion. Um, yeah. you know that you're restricting carbohydrates, like that has a negative impact because that's where our fiber is found. And so mm. it's actually counterintuitive to a lot of the things we hear that are very much focused on restriction. Um, because what happens is you, then you lose your diversity and then you also sacrifice your mental health and so it just kind of works against you um it's sexy but it's not sustainable mm -hmm. and so usually yeah. when I hear those things it's like does that actually sound like that's right or when you actually try it and you notice that your body is responding in a way that you know maybe is touted as like a detox but you're mm -hmm. having diarrhea or you're throwing yeah. up so um cause like purging behavior, I guess that can actually have a negative impact. And so just really being thoughtful mm -hmm. about how your body is getting back to you in those regards. Um, and if it's actually speaking in a way that's showing you that it's not working well, um, mm -hmm. mentally or physically, then that's usually a sign that your microbes are not really thriving either. So it's, yeah, it's all about what you include. And when you get yeah. into digestive disorders, there are some differences there. So that's where the health part does yeah. change and and that's why it is important that if you are dealing with those issues like don't go to google because google yeah. will tell you to do celery juice you know google's going to mm -hmm. tell you to do this cleanse like google's going to tell you to buy these supplements what it's not telling you is that there might be a cause of your um your symptoms that that thing that you're going to try is going to make that worse or you know that supplement that you're going to take is going to have a side effect that is going to be worse than what you're experiencing now. So you do want to make sure if you're having altered digestion and you know, you've, you're, you're managing your stress and you're trying to eat fiber and it's not adding up mm -hmm. instead of going that route, really digging to understand like, okay, what's going on in my body? Where am I right now? And what is considered healthy for me right now? So meeting with a gastroenterologist, then seeing a dietitian, if they don't refer you, advocate yeah. for one or go find one um, that mm. knows about digestion and you know different digestive disorders, and then figuring it out with them so that you know that you're being as supported as you can, which then means you're actually supporting your body and your microbes and not actually working against yourself, which then will put you back years, you know, maybe do more damage. Mm. And our gut is very forgiving but it can be very confusing. So it is important to make sure you get that right care really fast mm -hmm. um, so that you're not, again, wasting your time or, or doing more harm than is needed. Yeah. Gosh, this is so interesting. I'm like, I could just listen to you keep talking about this forever because I feel like gut, gut health and all things digestion are just so complex. And so I love hearing from people who like, that's like your zone of genius. Um, shifting gears for a second, I would love, because I know as you're talking about gut health and digestion and all these things, some things that come to mind for me are like prebiotics and probiotics, because I know we talked about like, what are some things we may see in the media or if someone Googles like how to support my gut health, I probably, I feel like one of the things that may pop up is like take a daily probiotic. And I know, like you mentioned, there's still a lot of research to be done around all the different bacteria strains and all of that. And so when it comes to probiotics and then I guess also prebiotics, 
maybe I would love for you to kind of go into first, like what, what is a prebiotic? What is a probiotic? And then second, kind of talking through like when a probiotic is actually needed or helpful and when maybe it's more so just a placebo effect. Yeah, that's a great question. And one that I get asked all the time. Yeah, <laughs> Everyone wants to know, what probiotic do I need to take? Um, and it is important to understand what these are and what the differences are because they are misconstrued <laughs> in the yeah. media to sell products, which is the world we live in. Um, mm. So a prebiotic is actually a, a type of fiber that feeds our bacteria. So our fibers feed the bacteria. All fibers do. They have a role in that. Prebiotics are specific fibers that have been shown to have a potential like benefit. So they're kind of like our super fibers, if you will. Like they they yeah. definitely have a benefit. They are found naturally in foods. So we have mm -hmm. a lot of prebiotic-rich foods, like onion and garlic are in there, um, apricot, um, artichoke. Like there's so many amazing foods that are rich in prebiotic fibers. Um, whenever they're isolated, so a lot of times like prebiotic supplements, they're either man-made versions that mimic those or they're, they're like extracted and isolated um, forms of those fibers. So it's a supplement that is a natural occurring fiber or a man-made version of a naturally occurring fiber that is shown to have a potential benefit. Nothing wrong in taking a prebiotic. Um, they can help with supporting your microbes, especially if you don't have access to a, a variety of foods, if you're not able to tolerate certain like prebiotic rich foods, because some of those can be hard to tolerate for some people with digestive um, disorders, or if you just want to have them in and you want to sprinkle them on things and enjoy it, like great. Um, there's really no known harm to that as long as the other ingredients, you know, in that product yeah. are beneficial and the company is giving you what it says it's giving you. So it's usually where I would usually recommend like going for one that is a naturally occurring or a company you trust and it's more isolated. There's a lot of confusion in that product because um, there might be other things mixed in. A probiotic is live bacteria. So you're taking live bacteria in some way. So like in yogurt, there are you know, microbes added in. And so those are live microbes that you're eating as you eat the yogurt. Um, for a pill, like a probiotic supplement pill, it's usually encapsulated um, live bacteria. Um, they don't have to be refrigerated to still be live. <laughs> that's a, a myth that's out there. Um, but there are different versions of all of this. So they're spore-based and it gets very complex very fast. Probiotics came into our world whenever we learned that we were wrong about, about bacteria. <laughs> so the moment we all realized like, oh, we, bacteria are actually a good thing, we need them, the probiotic industry just went insane. And so a lot mm -hmm. of us millennials, I guess, um, probably grew up not really hearing much about probiotics. And then all of a sudden when we're you know, adults, it, it was huge. It was a big thing that was always in you know, the media. It was a general recommendation. And even as dietitians, it was something that we just recommended very like blanket-like. We would just say, yeah. oh, take a probiotic. What we believed at that time is that taking that probiotic, so taking those live bacteria, would then populate your gut with live bacteria. At that time, we believed that you know, it didn't really matter. Like, Take them. They're beneficial. Great. What we've learned is that that doesn't actually happen. So what we've learned is that one, the strain matters because each strain does something different. And so different products on the shelf that have different strains of bacteria will have a different impact on your body. And then your own makeup of bacteria will determine if you need that 
If you don't, how that's going to interact with your microbes, which is why um, research is very limited in this area. We also learned that they don't house themselves. Like they don't just kind of take up residence in your gut. What they do is they metabolize. So as you're taking them, they metabolize and they produce the beneficial byproducts that our microbes produce. Um, so it's like short chain fatty acids, um, gas, which is actually a beneficial yeah. byproduct, um, different beneficial byproducts that are helpful for overall health or helpful mm -hmm. for an outcome that you're looking for. Um, and, and so that's what we've learned since then. Now that we're starting to uncover their role, what they do whenever we take them and the different like functions of the different strains, we've learned that they're not actually meant for everybody. <laughs> um, mm. They're not one size fits all. Uh, and you can easily waste your money with one and it not be doing what you want it to do. We've uncovered, there are some science, like research studies, you know, we don't do studies on humans. I think that's something that people need to understand. And that's something that's very misunderstood, especially in some of these blogs and within these products that are, you know, more of the natural route to um, medicine. There's a lot of things that will say, you know, study show, research shows. We don't do research studies on humans. <laughs> it's not ethical. So a yeah. lot of our studies that we have are either going to be based on like, um, you know, we do like some placebo effect and stuff if something's been known to be safe. Um, but even with that, we can't take all the factors into place. Like we're not going to cut the human open and see like, okay, what mechanism did this have in their body? Mm. Um, so that's where like placebo can come into play and, um, you know, other factors like, oh, did they take the probiotic and change their diet? Or, you know, what are they doing when they're doing this? Um, that's where things get really confusing. And so a lot of our research on probiotics is actually done on animals like rats. Um, it's not really done on humans. And so with that, as we uncover more, we've actually seen where some probiotics can be harmed um, for certain populations. Um, we know that some can work and some may not work at all. We know that some can have negative side effects and some can have potential side effects. And that doesn't seem to replicate between each person or different makeup of bacteria. Just if you're confused, then you know that we're all confused. <laughs> <It's just laughs> confusing. Because yeah. of that, the, the world of, you know, really like digestive health focused dietitians, so the ones who are in the thick of digestive disorders and really focused on this area, the consensus is we don't really recommend probiotics. Yeah, um, interesting. In my practice, like I might work with a probiotic, but it's going to be a very specific brand, a very specific makeup of strains. Like I'm looking for something very specific to that individual's symptoms. And it's mm -hmm. never going to be my first approach. Like I'm going to work on the dietary and lifestyle modifications. We're going to work on um, their stress. Like we're going to work on how they feel and work on that diversity and variety in their diet. Like it will include some fibers. I may even use a prebiotic supplement before I would ever go to a probiotic because it's not really proven to be that effective. And it's very hard to monitor the changes that someone actually might feel. And so if you can't monitor if it's working or not, that can lead to more confusion and a lot of wasted money. Instead of focusing on taking a, prebi a probiotic, what we can do is work on actually supporting our own bacteria. And so the more that we support the health of our own microbes, then we do get those beneficial byproducts. Um, the exceptions to this would be like after an antibiotic treatment, 
So we know that after antibiotic treatment, a probiotic could be helpful. Um, we know that whenever your immune system's compromised, sometimes that can be helpful, but it's very specific to the person and it should only be done under the care of your doctor because there are some conditions where that's going to do more harm than good. And you want to know for sure that what you're putting in your body is going to give you a positive outcome and not putting you at risk for something like another infection or you know, something like that yeah. because it's not worth it because what you're going to do is then put yourself back, you know, years in your own mm -hmm. health um, or you're going to spend a lot of money and then be frustrated. And so mm -hmm. that's my own take on probiotics. Yeah, no, that's so interesting because I know, and I feel like I used to text you all the time, like, tell me more about probiotics. Cause I mean, like you mentioned, like, I don't, think we really learned about them in school or like really in our internship. And so they are like a newer within the past, you know, five or so years, at least they're newer on the scene, mm -hmm. but I never knew like what you mentioned, like they've never really been tested on humans. They're not typically like the first line of defense because I feel like, again, looking at like Google, the media, that sort of thing, you would just think like, oh, I'm having trouble with my gut. Let me just take a probiotic. That'll fix it without realizing like it may not do anything and it also could do more harm than good or I'm just going to be spending a lot of money that I don't need to be spending because I feel like some probiotics can also be kind of expensive. They can be extremely expensive. Yeah, and the ones, yeah. I mean, that you have some research backing them, which again, they funded their research. It's yeah. either subjective. The one that's based on your own. So it's not even like you can't. Yeah. Part. There's no, you know, specific mechanism that we know is working or it's done on animals. Um, they are very expensive. And, you know, one thing that I usually tell people when they're thinking about this, like if anyone asks me what probiotic they should take, like I don't answer them. I'll say, yeah. you know, work with a dietitian, like figure it out with someone who knows you and your history. If anyone is recommending a probiotic to you or a product that has this. So this is where this gets tricky is there are a mm -hmm. lot of products out there that are in the diet culture world, like all these companies selling yeah. their colored drinks and all that. Uh, um, yeah. There are lots of supplements that are like, this cured my, my problems, um, celebrities promoting them. When you see a product like that, if you actually look at the label, a lot of times it's going to be a combination of a prebiotic and a probiotic. That's usually some version of what's going on there. Um, and the prebiotic is most likely where there's the benefit, right? Um, which you mm -hmm. could achieve through your diet and including things you really love. Yeah. Um, and so you might be spending a lot of money or joining this like group of people um, to follow like these extreme ideas um, where there's also this restriction involved and also this kind of dependency on the product and, and all of that. Um, so whenever you see that coming at you through an ad, they're all over it right now, um, mm -hmm. multi-level marketing, like someone coming at you in your DMs to talk about yeah. it. When you see that, that's typically what's happening. And your first instinct should be to consult with a medical professional and to have a red flag up because mm -hmm. if someone's selling something usually yeah. that means that they're in it for the money um mm -hmm. and that there are a lot of claims that aren't really ethical um and, and probably aren't as backed up as they think that they are especially if they're connected to that company in some way so that's yeah. usually a really good easy way to like weed out what's mm -hmm. going on and if you see something that you are drawn to from the marketing and from the stories and the testimonials like 
great. Like get the information on the product, but take it to your healthcare professional to make sure it mm-hmm. makes sense for you. Cause I've personally seen lots of patients with IBS who have been triggered by certain products that are out there. Mm-hmm. And some of these top names that have, you know, people swear by with yeah. healing all of their issues, like actually causing a lot more um, negative symptoms because remember health is different for each of us. So it's just very important to, to be aware of with the whole probiotic, prebiotic supplement industry. Um, yeah. it's, it gets really sticky. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad you brought all that up too, because I feel like, especially on Instagram, it's so trendy now to see different like teas and supplements and products. And I mean, if you look at just like the labeling, like it looks so pretty and like all the testimonials are amazing. And so, and usually there's like, get it for 15% off or whatever. So it's easy to be like, Oh sure. Let me try it. Like nothing to lose, but realizing like, that's not really something you want to just play around with either because it could like you've seen the clients have a negative impact on your gut. Yeah, for sure. Supplements, Mm -hmm. natural, all of that does not mean there are no yeah. side effects. I think we're learning that. I feel like I've seen mm-hmm. that come up more where we're learning about, you know, excessive vitamin D intake can have yeah. potential like negative impact and, you know, excessive B12 can lead to hormonal imbalance. Like there's so mm-hmm. much out there that we, we know now. And it used mm-hmm. to be this idea of, you know, well, if it's natural, more is better, but that's yeah. not true. <laughs> so yeah. it's like really understanding that supplement form like is very hard because it's not regulated we don't know how much is in mm-hmm. it we don't have good research on you know reaching toxic levels because we've never been in a time in history where we are taking these supplements and herbals and products like yeah. you know like we are now and it, it's very important to make sure that you understand what that thing is doing in your body so like what all ingredients are present how that's actually impacting your body and then if that even makes sense for you um, with someone who understands your history. So that's where dietitians, I yeah. feel like we have the best um, role. And I think that's where sometimes doctors don't recommend us. Yeah. <laughs> so the misconception is that like your doctor has time to really hear you out and give you, you know, very clear advice on everything you should do based on your history. And that's not true. Like your doctor um, has a very clear role in helping navigate like what conditions going on. They can help with understanding what testing needs to be done, and they might have really great referrals and recommendations, especially for like medical side, right? So medicine and things like that. Your doctor is not really the one that gives nutrition information, and usually they don't give very good <laughs> nutrition information. Yeah, not what they've been trained in. They focus on their thing. Um, and so with dietitians, like our role is to really help you navigate all of those little pieces, working alongside like your doctor. And so understanding the tests that they did, helping translate that and translating, you know, your diagnosis or translating those recommendations and helping you actually come up with a plan. And so whenever you feel like you're in a place where it's like, okay, well, my gut, like I know that my gut health is important. And I'm probably not, you know, pooping as much as I'm supposed to. I think it's usually where people come around to mm-hmm. understanding that they might need a little support instead yeah, of going yeah. straight for, you know, the influencer or straight for the supplements, like taking time to meet with the dietitian <laughs> in order to yeah. kind of piece things apart and figure out like, okay, is there a need for that? Is this as simple as adding a little bit of extra fiber or like adding some grains back in or, you know, making things a little bit more consistent? Like maybe that's all you need versus spending a lot of money or 
you know, being frustrated with a lot of different things that are out there or potentially having a negative impact of that. So yeah, I think that's one of the best things that we get to do as dietitians. Yeah. Um, and something that I think is very misunderstood because um, not everyone has seen a dietitian or, or understands exactly what we do. Yeah. Gosh, that's so helpful to hear about pre and probiotics. Cause I know I didn't even know that stuff you were just saying. So I'm like, I need to be taking notes right now. So I'm <laughs> saying, so good. So a lot to learn, who knows? Yes. It might be five years and that's something that <laughs> yes. if it's rapidly changing, that's usually where the GI people or all the digestive health dietitians uh-huh. come to the conclusion to not recommend it is because it is always changing. Yeah. And I don't want to be, you know, the dietitian that was in the don't eat any yeah. fat, you know, because it's yes. learning so much. And if we can just simplify and come back to food and like back to mm-hmm. basics, like a lot of times mm-hmm. there's so much more power there and we don't have to worry about things being okay and then not okay. Like if it's yeah. not, like, let's just focus on what we know to be effective. <laughs> That's yeah. and a lot safer. <laughs> yeah. Which is like everything you were mentioning earlier, like manage our stress, eat fiber, get outside. And obviously we know it's easier said than done because there's more to that, more to stress, more to making sure we get enough fiber, but can be much more simple than adding on a bunch of supplements and probiotics and et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Well, I feel like I could talk about gut health forever and I know you probably could. I'm sure there's like so many (laughs) things that could be talked about, but for the sake of time, I would love to, there's a question I love to ask all of the guests that come on the show just as dietitians and being foodies and I know you love food and making recipes and all that so I just I would love to know what your favorite food memory is or maybe one of your favorite food memories so whether it's like a restaurant you love a recipe you make um, something you had growing up what a what food memory stands out that's a great question. Um, I grew up in, again, a very rural like food desert. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we did not grow up cooking and eating fresh things. Um, but I think my best, I guess, food memory was in college, I actually learned how to cook. And I grew up very Southern um, and I don't eat like that at all. It's just not my preference yeah. anymore. Um, I like very like plant-based like mm-hmm. flavor rich, like lots of varieties of spices. And I'm not really a meat and three kind of person. So yeah. my favorite yeah. food memory, I think was learning how to make curry from scratch from a friend of mine who grew up very differently than I did. Um, and just understanding like a different side of cooking that I never knew before. And um, just the joy of, I think that in, um, in, I don't know how to say that word, but the little details of <laughs> food yes. and recipes, um, that's something that has been really fun to see grow since then. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I feel like for some reason, I don't know why I think this, but when I think of you, I think like curry and Indian food for some, I feel like you make that a lot. I love curry. Yeah. I love all versions of curries and stir fries. And I, it's something that I prefer um, because I love, I love plants. Like I love Mm -hmm. varieties of plants and color. And to me, one of the most beautiful meals is a curry. That's like a rich color with all these veggies it's warm and soothing and com- mm. to me that's comfort food. Um, yeah. versus, you know, what I grew up on, which, you know, I still, yeah. love, my, I still love my pasta. I still love yeah. mac and cheese. You know, I still love those things, but mm-hmm. it's just a very different um, approach that I grew in love with as I, 
you know, discovered what other foods yeah. are. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And so for people listening, if they want to find you and whether someone listening who is having their own struggles with digestion and gut health and want to reach out to you or people who just want to hang out with you on Instagram because you post a lot of amazing content, where can people find you? Yeah. So on Instagram, I'm at erinjudge.rd, the judge, like the law judge. <laughs> and that is focused mostly on IBS. So my disclaimer is it's not one size fits all. It is focused mm -hmm. on IBS, but we do like to have good conversations about that holistic approach to gut health and kind of debunking some of the, the things that are out there. Um, I also do have a podcast called The Happy yeah. Gut Podcast with Erin Judge. And on there, we talk a lot about the gut-brain connection. We talk about um, these different pieces of the puzzle when it comes to gut health. And so it's a little bit of a deeper dive into digestion as a whole versus just IBS. Yeah, I love that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for coming on the show. This was such a fun conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to our show. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Food Freedom Podcast. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at Free Method Nutrition for more inspiring content on food freedom, intuitive eating, body respect, and many other things. If you're curious how you can support our podcast and help it to reach more people like you, we would love if you would take a minute to rate and review the show. We drop new episodes every Tuesday, so make sure you subscribe so you always catch our latest conversations. See you next episode.